gentlemen of the worldwide interwebs good evening and welcome to joe's people it's a catholic podcast but it's not totally lame tonight on the big show joe welcomes back his good friend sam higgins as co-host they banter about judging people then joe interviews his friend kate about being a native austinite and her conversion journey it's more catholic fun than a sunday in ordinary time and now the man who makes me a better catholic wait I'm not saying that. You're the guy who loaned Martin Luther that hammer. Hey, stick to the script. And now, the man who makes me a better Catholic, Mr. Joe Geisler. All right, yeah, so thanks for the intro. Uh, so, um, uh, we're back after a you know, slightly, you know, minor hiatus. So, um, and here is my buddy, Sam. How's it going, Sam? Hanging in there. It's been a while. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a while. A little bit, yeah. A little while. And then, um, so now you're married now. Totally married. It's yeah. going great. Well, so far, so good. I was going to ask you, how's it going? And then I was... Uh, sacramental. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that's how it's going. Uh, uh, I was going to say I was at the wedding, and I, I didn't get into a dance battle with... It was then Deacon Trey. He, he wanted to do a dance battle. Oh, man, he was, he was, the, hit, he was the hit of the party, man. All of, yeah. all, of, uh, all of my wife's family just they kept talking about the dancing Deacon, so he was definitely the life of the party. He, he usually is. I was saying... Um, I see now he's at, and now that he's ordained, uh, he's, he's has his first assignment. Um, I see he's adding to his Facebook friends, so I figured he's going to peg it at five thousand pretty quickly. I was about to say I didn't even so, know there was a max, but I learned that I recently. Thought there was, yeah, five thousand. Yeah. If it is, he's going to hit it. Whenever, so. Oh, I'm sure he'll he'll defriend other people as, yeah. he, as he goes. He'll purge, yeah. purge. And but yeah, I was going to ask half of the wheat or something. Exactly, <laughs> the goat, goats and the lambs. I don't know why people on the left, you know, it's uh, yeah, get, always get the axe. I, God doesn't like left-handed people. It could have been arbitrary. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, pardon my slurping. Uh, yeah, so um, I was going to ask if you guys plan to have like six kids or maybe eight or nine. Just I don't to, know. Or, uh, I was going to point out I'm seventh born myself, so just keep that in mind. For, hey, well, I'm one of five, for, and she's one, real. Uh, I'm one of five, and she's one of four. Well, I don't know, but it's all sometimes it's it takes chance. it takes seven to get the, the perfect child. So just, it's just yeah. Apparently, what happened with y'all then? Yeah. Uh, then there's Homer. Uh, Homer had two great quotes on kids. So, the first one, you know, you obviously kids, kids are great, and you know nowadays they practically raise themselves what with the internet and all. Mm-hmm. So, Classic. And then the other one is, uh, um, you know, marriage is like a coffin, and each child is like a nail. <laughs> or, or there's the other one. Uh, you're forgetting the other great quote when he finds out, you know, that uh, Marge when Marge finds out she's pregnant. Tears his hair out. Tears his hair out. But people are going to appreciate that that spike in volume. But no, no, no it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, Homer tears a little bit of his hair each time he gets to they have another kid. So, but, so yeah, so I, I wanted to talk about uh, judgmentalism, actually. Not that there's any uh, total non sequitur. But because um, uh, uh, sometimes uh, people, um, they take that, you know, the, uh, a summary of the Christian world is, oh, don't judge. Um but so then, and it comes, okay, I can get, they can, it can kind of come from, um, so quoting from the, 
the USCCB, the New American Bible. So Matthew chapter 7. So Jesus said, Stop judging that you may, may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged. And the measure with which you me measure will be measured out to you. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove that splinter from your eye, while the wooden beam is in your eye? You hypocrite, remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you'll see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. Although right after that, so that's um, chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, and then right after that, Jesus said, Do not give what is holy to dogs, or throw your pearls before swine lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. So, so right away, right after the injunction not to judge, um, there is the injunction that certain people are swine, and you have to judge are people swine or not. So it's not a, we're not getting, we're not given like a, a um, absolute mandate not to judge anybody, because obviously we have to judge whether people are swine or not. But also, um, then St. Paul, and some people, after I've brought out St. Paul, sometimes some people go, well, well I don't know, why do we have to listen to St. Paul? And I think that's kind of obvious why we listen to St. Paul. But, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, I guess there was a situation where um, the Christian community, they'd been bringing lawsuits against each other, and they, get, they were having judgments made against each other in the, the pagan courts, in the Roman courts. So he wrote to them and he said, how can any of you any one of you with a case against another dare to bring it to the unjust for judgment instead of to the holy ones. Do you not know that the holy ones will judge the world? If the world is to be judged by you, are you unqualified for the lowest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Then why not everyday matters? If therefore you have courts for everyday matters, do you see as judges people of no standing in the church? I say this to shame you. Can it be that there is not one among you wise enough to be able to settle a case between brothers? But rather, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now indeed, then, it, it is in any case a failure on your part that you have lawsuits against one another. Why not rather put up with injustice? Why not rather let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you inflict injustice and cheat, and this to brothers. So it's kind of like St. Paul is, is kind of angry at the Christian community because they're not judging. They're not making judgments about things, right? So. I mean, if... First, I feel like I should preface anything I say with, you know, I'm, I'm no theologian, so, you know, get <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really either. Yeah, yeah no, I, 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 I could have I sworn. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, first of all, we don't know what the Greek is, you know, the, these could be different words, different, entirely different words that are all translated to judgment, but even if they're the same, there's obviously the context to help understand that, you know, you know, railing against someone or, or the manner in which you judge in terms of are you trying to judge between two parties in a lawsuit? Or are you trying to judge um, someone's actions or, or response or their soul? Yeah. Well, exactly. Or, or even, you know, making a judgment on where someone's at versus acting as if you can put them in their place or know where they came from. And so ultimately the standard is... is is mercy and love and obviously if there's an in mercy and love you can obviously like it said pull someone's splinter out but you have to be very careful to understand and look at yourself first it's always a call to make sure we don't you know take out our own frustrations of our own sins out on other people or project our own you know whatever type of anxieties or frustrations or anything else out on other people it's 
certainly very easy to do, but you know, I, I think of not judging people as just not losing your peace about things, you know, some terrible driver that cut you off or, you know, people whose political thoughts, you know, run very contrary to the church, but, you know, a lot of frustrations and friends or even people within the church, you know, it's so easy to hold kind of resentment or negative thoughts toward them, but you don't really necessarily know where they're coming from. They may not be right, but there's certainly better things you can do than be angry about it. Well, that's what I remember uh, Bishop Sheen said. Uh, he goes, you really should, you should be treating other people better than yourself because you already know how wicked you are. And you have no idea whether, whether other people are good or not, but you're pretty sure about how awful you are. So, so you should give them the benefit of the doubt, right? So, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've always taken the quote not to, about not, not judging to mean don't judge people's souls. Leave that to God because only God knows. Exactly. Only God has all the information anyway and exactly. the ability to, to do that. But in terms of like judging actions, like, oh, yes, this, this is probably more likely to get you to heaven or no, this probably won't. Or, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that judging actions and thoughts are actually, um, as whether they're good or not for salvation, is actually um, part of our duties. Absolutely. And, and think about the, so the four, there's four cardinal virtues that were acknowledged by the classic philosophers, starting, you know, with Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, um, going all the way up, you know, uh, to modern day, right? Prudence, temperance, fortitude, justice. Um, those are the four cardinal ones. Then there's the three theological virtues, faith, hope, love, and love is also charity. Um, prudence, prudence is judging, is this good or bad? Justice, justice involves judging. Um, so temperance, have I, you know, we're actually having a little bit of wine right now. Am, am I having too much wine? Is it too much? Is it, is it fine, right? These all require some kind of, some kind of judgment. It's between you but, and God. Yeah. And then, uh, but like, notice tolerance is not on the list. Non-judgmentalism really isn't on the list, although no, they are. Um, although I thought about, there's things you are allowed to judge people on, at least according to our modern sensibilities. Uh, consumption of refined carbs, you can. It's oh, okay yeah. to, It's okay to tell people not to do that. Um, artificial sweeteners, yeah, you can. That's gonna give you cancer. You can tell people that. Gluten, you can tell people they're having, they shouldn't be having gluten. Um, not recycling. Uh, totally, terrible totally fine. That totally fine. Just horrible humans. They're gonna all burn in hell for not recycling. Fast food. Oh, tell me Eating fast that. food. It's so it's good though. It's so quick. Yeah, it's a horrible human being for eating fast food. Oh, apparently. Don't even. Don't let that get out. Uh, smoking. Oh which, man. Uh, yeah. What if I have an occasional uh, cigar? Yeah, now you can't have it here. Oh. <laughs> I just said in general, oh, sleep, not in here. Sleeping in late, not getting up early. Okay, now now that's a stretch. I've never that's, heard that one. Uh, I get grief for that. Really? Yeah, get up late. Yeah. You're just not, yeah, not an early riser, total slacker. Terrible, a, I terrible, terrible human being. I heard that one. If you or but but see, okay, if I said oh fornication, it's bad for you, right? Oh no, oh back up. Yeah, that's not, back that's up. Not your Don't, business. My other one, it, it, my my one, intellectual and spiritual laziness. And who gets called out on that ever, right? But that's a, I would, I would argue that's a, it's a good chunk of the population intellectually and spiritually. Actually, Fulton Sheen was just talking about that one too. I watched him, one of his old old shows and he was talking about intellectual laziness. You know, basically there's prudence involved in studiousness, you know, basically gaining knowledge and books are good things, but he basically, uh, you know, said on the two ends of the spectrum were the low brows and the high brows. And it's not really good to be either one, you know, you can exercise, you know, temperance in your studiousness or your readings 
Um, but yeah, just being flat out lazy, not even trying to improve your mind, is what he, he seemed to indicate was not on the good side of things. That was. Uh, he made a judgment about that. He made a judgment about people who don't read enough. Don't read enough. Yeah. Obviously, that's not the case for people who can't read. You know. Well, that's spiritual sloth, right? That's or sloth in general, right? Is a exactly. uh, acedia. I thought it was acedia. sloth. Or sloth, sloth, mm, whatever. You pronounce it sloth, like you know, three-toed sloth. Oh, I guess sloth, so. Yeah. I thought I heard it. Was but uh, I mean, sloths are cute, though. But you know, well, not the old extinct ones. Extinct yeah. ones. Yeah. You know, they got the ones that were like, like the size of elephants. You ever uh, hear about that? No. Pretty cool seeing their bones. It's a true story. There's like these old 14-foot-tall sloths that wandered around South America. They're extinct uh, now. A few thousand years ago, yeah. They're extinct yeah, see, it happens. That would have been freaky looking. Yeah, so it happens to sloth. Yeah, so. But also... Uh, um, Sorry, we digress. That was the... Uh, um, somebody was saying, yeah, or there was a writing about um, acedia, yeah, about um, spiritual sloth, and that the worst is if you don't care that you don't care. That's like... Like, you can don't care... You can not care, but then kind of be worried about the fact you don't care about things, but mm-hmm. to not care that you don't care, that's really... Yeah. That's, that's pretty bad. All right, well, uh, we'll leave it. Oh, no, actually, sorry. There was one more quote. Uh, Blaise Pascal, he had a... Um, Smart in, guy. In Pensees, uh, he... The, I don't remember the exact quote, but the gist of it was if you... Um, in terms of not caring, it was... You know, if you have somebody who tells you... Um, I mean, they're an unbeliever, and they say, well, I don't know where I came from. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the meaning of life is, but I'm, I'm okay with that. Exactly. He's like, well, what do you say to somebody like that? Where, where do you even start? So, but, uh, That's a good question. I mean, I knew many, many uh, agnostics, I guess is the term for that today. But, uh, yeah. You have to actually care about the, the meaning of certain things or where you came from or where you're going or, you know. But then you might actually have to do stuff or change yeah, or something. Yeah, that might lead to actual action. Yeah. Responsibility. People but, like just having fun, doing their own thing. We say as we sip some wine. So, but yeah. Okay. So, uh, all right. So we'll take a break and we'll be back with Kate. This is Mary McClory, M Little C Big C Little L O R Y, and you're listening to Joe's People. All right. So we're back, and now we're joined by my good friend Kate. How's it going, Kate? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Mostly staying out of trouble. That's good. And then, uh, um, yeah. So now, uh. So you just see. Actually, I'm going to go out of order because we're we're, we're sipping a little wine. So you just finished your degree in um, or your certification in uh, viticulture. Right? Yes, I just graduated today, actually, and um, it was a two-year program. I love wine and I love food and I love agriculture. So studying viticulture sounded like a perfect combination of those things. And it's a very Catholic thing to do, really. You think about it. That's why I like being Catholic. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, we had a party, uh, it was for Theology on Tap uh, years ago, and this was then Bishop, uh, our, our Bishop Amond. Um, we had like 20 or 30 bottles of wine sitting uh, sitting on our counter, and uh, he walks in, he, he, he's like, huh, do you think we need to get more? Is that going to be enough for us? Or, uh, and my friend Ruth is like, no, see, now that's why I like being Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, Indeed. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> no teetotalers here. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, um, okay, yeah, so I was going to start with, so you're a native Austinite. Yeah. I am. And that's actually a pretty rare breed. Very so, rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're all mostly um, uh, carpetbaggers or, I don't know, any kind of yeah. or migrants. I mean, at least I'm Texan. Joe, Joe, yeah. Joe you're like from yeah, some other Yankee. weird yeah. Yankee from place. Yankee from Pittsburgh. North. Yeah. But I know my wife's from Austin, too. Very rare. Hmm. They're in the minority. We're good stuff. 
Yeah, and then uh, um, how do you feel about the whole town just blowing up on you? It's uh, it's got its pros and cons. I love all the wonderful new things that we have here, and we've got lots of speaking of wine, great wine and food and restaurants and so forth. Um, but the traffic's not as fun. Oh. That's still very uh, optimistic, though. That's very benevolent sounding, more than most Austinites I hear. Well, I'm in a good mood. Thing. That's good. That's good. Okay. Catch you on another day. Yeah. I give people the choice between Austin and Detroit. You know, between the two, you'd uh, yeah, probably, pick, you'd oh, probably pick Austin. Austin for sure. So there you go. Yeah, there's you know, they, they were saying there's parts of Detroit now that are empty and bears. So you can afford real in, estate so. in Detroit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very affordable. <laughs> and there's certain parts of town where you don't have to worry about the traffic. Uh, so because no, there's nobody exactly. lives there or could could live there, pretty much. And they shut the street lights off because nobody's there. Oh. So. But uh, um. <laughs> Well, I like electricity, so I'm glad that we don't do that either. <laughs> and now, um, yeah, so we were just talking. So now you were born at Seton Hospital. I was, yes. Yeah. And back, it was the original Seton on 38th Street. And Elizabeth Ann Seton ends up playing a role in my conversion. So hmm. I like that Seton. I went there, I uh, got my, uh, actually I was, I was on my way to a happy hour. Slammed my finger in my car door. Um, needed a bunch of stitches, so went there. Got five stitches and my pinky. And then um, I missed the happy hour, but I went I went swing dancing anyway because I was like, well, I was already two hours in emergency room and getting yeah. stitched up. I'm like, I'm not missing it. Yeah. I'm not missing a dance. So That's good. it was good. It wasn't that busy. It was like a Thursday night. So, but, but anyway, sorry, Becky. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> and now, um, uh, oh yeah, so I was also uh, jumping around. Also jump to uh, you're also trained in landscape architecture. Yes, I have my degree from A&M in landscape architecture and am currently working for a design build firm in Austin. So. Cool. And I, I should disclose you actually helped me uh, you helped me plan out my yard and oh, my, my house in Allendale too. So that was a... For a fee. Although I, oh, no, I, I, I did it I, as a friend. I, I, I offered to pay, but no, she was nice enough. I was nice around, enough so. to say no. Yeah, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty nice. I had the pleasure of drawing something. I was I know, excited. <laughs> and I, I have yet to put it in place, but we will. It's, it's in the, we're, we're getting there. That's my fee, is before and after so, photos, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> we we'll do that. Yeah. We had that one, uh, yeah, there's that one bush that you pointed out as an uh, invasive species, but... Um, but it's the only right. thing that looks good in my whole yard. So, uh, <laughs> like, well, yeah. That's why it's invasive because it thrives. Uh, yeah, right? it, it thrives. Takes and over everything. Actually, everything else is dead. Yeah. So, yeah, or dying. But, um, well, yeah. Before, uh, um, so I wanted, yeah, I wanted to have you on to mainly talk about your conversion. Although I wanted to talk about though, how, how did you get into landscape architecture? Oh well, I grew up. My mom was into gardening. <laughs> And originally I wanted to be a fashion designer, but I loved being outside and helping my mom garden. And um, at the time, fashion design was something you had to go to New York to do. And um, I didn't want to leave the Central Texas area. And so she said, well, why don't you think about landscape architecture? And so I spent a day with a friend who, or a family like fashion friend. for plants. Fashion for plants. There we exactly. go. I like yeah. it. Um, you got all these fun materials and unfortunately sometimes they die, which clothes don't usually, but, um, but yeah, I spent some time with a landscape architect friend of our family and said, Hey, this sounds fun. And so I applied and got into A&M and started the program there. Actually, I got in as a, in general studies at A&M and I got into landscape architecture my second year in college. I had to go convince them that I was worth being there. That your landscape material was. That I was material, yeah. Landscape architecture, or just A&M material. Exactly. 
I fell in love with A&M right away. I was kind of scared being an Austinite. Yeah. Everyone in my family went TT, and I was like, oh no, I'm going to the enemy territory. But the moment I got on campus and went to my first Yale practice, I fell in love with the place. It's amazing. So. Did the Aggie yell? Yeah, that's a, yeah. Sam's a Sam's a Longhorn, so yeah. It's okay. Like I said earlier, I'm like medical. I like having like like <laughs> more winning records, so don't be sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just I, need, I needed a change of scenery from Austin, and UT doesn't have landscape architecture as a bachelor program. No, so. they don't. They don't. That reminds me of the um, Springfield U versus Springfield A and M. Uh, they had a football football game on the Simpsons between them. Uh, Springfield U and Springfield A&M. So they did a bunch of trash talking. And one was, whoa, there was, um, it was your rock star professors don't actually teach your classes. That one is, oh, your, your tenure track is highly politicized. Uh, what were the other ones? That's uh, a great slam. So is lot, this the A&M slams, people uh, making fun of the university? No, of the university. Yeah. It was back and forth. just back and forth. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, but obviously, obviously making fun of UT versus A&M, so. Yeah. But. On the Simpsons? Simpsons have, That's really funny. Yeah, Simpsons have to make fun of pretty much everything, so. Um, now, uh, yeah, I want to talk, uh, starting from the beginning, I'm curious what, um, so now you've converted to Catholicism, you just came in to the church uh, this last Easter, uh, Easter vigil, and um, I'm curious what, what are non-Catholics taught about Catholics? Because, like, honestly, like, as a... Well, it depends where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, it depends where you're coming from. So, yeah, so I guess you can point out where you started and... How did, yeah, and sort of like, what, what were you taught at... Uh, so I was raised Southern Baptist, um, not, I mean, we were, I don't want to say strict, we were true to Southern Baptist teachings, but it wasn't like fundamentalist or anything, it was good, solid, you know, Texas Southern Baptist, and um, I don't, I wouldn't say I was particularly taught much about the Catholic Church, but, you know, there's definitely this idea of, well, we're born again, we're Baptist, and those other guys are relying on their rituals and oh, I was born into this or whatever. And, um, but then in college, I became Lutheran. I kind of progressed all the way to Catholicism slowly through a variety of Protestant denominations. Okay, yeah, but, see, I wasn't aware of the whole story then. Yeah, so, so I, I kind of worked my way there, <laughs> denomination at a time. But I became Lutheran, and there I was taught a little bit more aggressively a kind of an... I don't want to say anti-Catholic, but just... But pretty much anti-Catholic. Pretty much anti-Catholic, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be fair, but um, yeah, I was taught that, uh, you know, anything... And it depended on the pastor at the church you were at, but anywhere from just basic, well, we don't... We're not really a big fan of those Catholics over there, or they're idolaters, or, you know, if you're really really heavy-heading the, you know, Pope is the office of the Antichrist or something like that. But, um, so there was a variety of things that were kind of from just not really caring too much about the Catholics to really putting them down, I guess. And a lot of it, now I understand, is a total misunderstanding of uh, what they believe, so. And, and a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of it's not necessarily willful. It can just be misunderstanding right. of what, uh, um, I mean, people are, might be taught things that are not true about, I mean, Although we were talking about that earlier, we were talking about the intellectual sloth earlier, where it's like, I mean, it doesn't take much to go figure it out. People just take what they hear for granted and say, oh, well, just somebody just told me that, so it must be true. Well, there's things you can do to kind of dig in. Yeah, yeah, nowadays, yeah. yeah. In a way, I was kind of that intellectual sloth, I guess, because I was taught that, and I didn't stop to question it. I just was like, oh, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, those Catholics over there. 
But um, but eventually I did start looking into it. So. See, I mean, well, that's the thing is that I, I always have to give props to converts because I'm not, you know, I was never sure if it, if I uh, wasn't Catholic that I would necessarily find my way to Catholicism. So that I would do all the necessary intellectual work to get there. Or just dig myself in deeper on whatever, wherever I happen to be. <laughs> well, if you'd asked me, I don't know, five years ago, I would have been like, what? Are you kidding? And I went to Rome while I was Lutheran, and I can't wait to go back now that I understand Catholicism better. I'm sure I'll never fully understand it, but um, while I was there, I definitely wasn't friendly towards the Catholic Church, and so I feel like I didn't experience some of the... You know architecture even or the the beauty of what was happening there and there was times when I got downright upset by things that were going on that I didn't know what it meant and some of it was just tourists being tourists yep. and um, uh, I can't wait to go back now that I better know what's going on Absolutely. you mentioned Elizabeth Ann Seton being part of this part of your oh journey. yeah so I was born in Seton Hospital and um, then Late, after I kind of started exploring Catholicism, I ended up in the Anglican Church here in Austin as a good, solid place. They weren't anti-Catholic by any means, and so it was a good place to rest while I was pursuing Catholicism before I jumped all the way into it. And I went on a silent retreat at Cedar Break, which is a Catholic mm -hmm. yep. retreat center, and was assigned the Elizabeth Ann Seton Room. And at the time I was like, oh, that's cool. I was born in Seton Hospital. It didn't kind of register to me to be anything besides that. Um, but later, as I, after I had decided to go through RCIA, a friend of mine who is Catholic made me a rosary and she'd asked me, are there any saints that you're partial to? And I'm, you know, listing off some of the big name ones. And I just happened to mention, I'm like, well, and I was born in Seton Hospital. So, you know, I kind of am interested in Elizabeth Ann Seton. Well, so she sent me the rosary, and it had a little Elizabeth Ann Seton medal on it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I don't know why I chose this one out of all the saints you gave me. I had to hunt this one down. And, um, and she said, but for some reason, I felt like I had to get the Elizabeth Ann Seton medal. So um, I was really honored by that, that she went through that effort. Um, but then I'd never used the rosary because I was still a little afraid of it. I was like, oh, what is this? Um, and then our RCIA director, um, right after uh, New Year's, invited me to go to adoration for the first time. And I thought, well, I'll get my rosary and maybe she can explain to me how to use this. And I get there and I pull it out and I show her and I tell her about the Elizabeth Ann Seton medal. And she goes, Kate, you're not going to believe this, but today is Elizabeth Ann Seton's feast day. Cool. And so the first time I used the rosary was on her feast day. And so when I was doing a discernment interview at our church, I told that story to the priest, and he said, I think we found your patron saint. And That's so amazing. she ended up being my patron saint. That's awesome. But, awesome. So yeah. And my niece and nephew were also born there, so it's kind of like <laughs> now we've got generations going. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Forgive me for a second. You, you said uh, an Anglican church? Which one was it? It wasn't St. It was Christchurch. Christchurch, okay. Mm -hmm. They meet right. near, or used to meet near the UT campus. My brother-in-law was Anglican. He got oh, ordained okay, cool. at, uh, and I can't even remember the name. I want to say St. Francis. But. There's three in Austin. No, there's more than that now. There used to not be very many, but it's growing. He, so. He's now, he's not in Austin anymore. Oh, okay. But, uh, anyway, there was, was a tiny little one on 9th Street in this beautiful little building. And they were like Anglo-Catholic. Anglo I went there once and... 
the women were where you know had covered their heads and it was very so beautiful. High, high church uh, very high church, high church yes. yeah. uh-huh. so uh, the one thing I'm, I'm always confused about is Anglican versus Episcopalian um, because um, we that have is confusing yes yeah because we have <laughs> we have Episcopalians in the US and then we have Anglicans in the US but I my understanding initially had been that Episcopalian is basically the the American version of Anglicanism. It which is. It was. Uh, it was. was. Now it's not. And now there's like a complicated situation, I guess, right? Well, yeah, they, they split uh, over a variety of, of issues. And so the Anglican, I guess the, the people who split off from the Episcopal Church called themselves Anglican and then set up their own conference? I don't know what the right term for that is. It's it called, is. I think is it, it is the conference? conference. Again, yeah. my, my brother-in-law is an Anglican priest. Right. He got ordained here in Austin. You know, uh, I, in fact, I, my nephew niece got baptized here oh, in that cool. church. Um, they're very involved in like pro-life work, so yeah. it was interesting because not only did I have my brother-in-law connection, but them as well. But that's essentially yeah, right. like basically they broke off because you know the Episcopals went completely unorthodox, and right. so in a variety to, of ways, exactly. So to maintain some type of connection to Anglicanism, but still not convert to Catholicism. The more Orthodox branch now calls Anglican. So yes, you're right. It's the Anglican Church in North America, I think, is the the correct. Which essentially used to be Episcopals, but then they. I might have gotten that wrong, but I think that's what they call it. Their conference now. That that reminds me of the Simpsons quote, which is pretty divisive. Where it was um, where the um, the Spanish Armada was bearing down on the Anglican, the on the British. uh, uh, Reverend Lovejoy is there. He's uh, every time they need a priest or a, a, a minister they have, but he's, he's there praying and he goes, dear Lord, he goes, we know we only split away from your, your one church so that our king could divorce his faithful wife, he goes, but we're pretty sure you're still on our side now, please help us destroy these unholy monsters and believe that your mother should be revered. <laughs> wow. oh, man. So much material there. It's just so good. <laughs> Joe and I quote Simpsons a lot. So and I never really watched much of the Simpsons. That's okay. so I'm like most people these days, they don't. It's a little older show at this point, I guess, yeah. but that's okay. So bear with us if they pop up from time to time. I like quotes, so I'm, I'm happy. But now, we, I mean, we also have, um, so we have, you know, Pope Benedict uh, had, Emeritus had been, uh, uh, he uh, he's the one that created the pathway now for the Anglican Ordinariate. So now there's just whole whole churches of Anglicans coming uh-huh. in now, wholesale rate. So. Right. Um, I, it's funny because I have several friends that came in either via, came into to the church from uh, they were evangelical that um, I guess the, the Budzhevskis their whole the whole family uh, Professor Budzhevsky and his family came in from I mean he had sort of a very circuitous route but he was at one point I believe evangelical then Episcopalian then Catholic so and my friend Alexa also came from uh, mm-hmm. she came from uh, Anglican so I always wonder if it's how does the Anglican Church view being like a way station for people coming back? Coming, <laughs> coming <in? laughs> so I'm sure, would they wish people would stop and stay there? <laughs> well, even oh, Scott Hahn and his wife. Um, when they um, when they were converting, he was negotiating with his wife. She's like, "Well, let's not become Catholic. Let's become Episcopalian because it's like the closest you can get without becoming Catholic." Because it was mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, actually, I was curious in general, actually. So what would you say prompted this the start of this conversion process? Yeah, so there was a very definite moment when Pope Benedict resigned. And mm-hmm. I saw that on the news. And I don't know why it like hit me so hard, but it did. And I just thought, well, this is really important. And mm-hmm. popes don't resign. And so I started listening to Catholic radio. At the time, I had purchased a, a car. 
that the previous owner must have prepaid for a lot of satellite radio because oh, nice. I had it for like years. And I somehow found the Catholic radio station there and I started listening to it hoping to get news about why Pope Benedict is resigning. And what I instead got was a lot of Catholic theology and I was listening to these shows and I was thinking, well, this isn't what I was taught or, oh my goodness, they're talking a lot about Jesus, you know? And um, I was, I felt kind of bad that I had believed incorrect things. So mainly I started off by trying to educate myself so I didn't believe something wrong about other Christians. And I had friends, I had a few friends that were Catholic, not many, but I didn't want to misunderstand what they were about. And so it started off strictly to better understand and it ended up after four years, it took me four years, but I eventually studied my way in to the Catholic Church. Awesome. With God helping me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so and some wonderful friends along the way. Wonderful people I've met. So And then like you Joe. met Joe. Yeah. And now yeah, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then Sam and I'm I'm responsible for that. So yeah. <laughs> Well, you introduced me to a lot of people because you were early on. I met you through Mallory. Okay, yeah. And um, so, and then you introduced me to a lot of people too. Who doesn't, Joe? Now, exactly. uh, Sometimes I'm the housing coordinator for the Catholics in the city. I think that happens too. I get that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was the one that actually housed them. Oh well, yeah. There's that too. You're before I was married. I was basically like a Catholic boarding house. I like it. Had like twelve roommates over the course of like. Oh, wow. Like eight years or so. Could have just had That's your own awesome. Bible study right there. Yeah, your place, yeah. Could start uh, your own order or something. Well, one of our friends did become a priest. <laughs> there you go. He did, uh, he did go to seminary straight from my place. I like it. Yeah, the, uh, it was interesting. You were talking about um, like studying your way into the church because uh, our, um, our previous priest at Cathedral, uh, Father Ken, he said that when he listens to people's stories about why they, why they leave the church, it's usually, oh... I was angry at somebody or somebody was really rude to me or it was like a personal and sometimes an emotional reason for leaving. Um, and then when people come in, it's, it, I mean, there's a bunch of different paths, right? But a lot of times it's, oh yeah, I read this or I, I started down this path or there's, you know, there's like a theological development a lot of times. Um, but it's not, it's not usually, oh, I got ticked off at my one pastor and I decided right. to become Catholic, right? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I did it out of spite. You know? It's like, I don't like them. I'm just becoming Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> that reminded me of, uh, yeah, Nelson. Uh, I remember Homer. Uh, I, no, he was leading, oh, he was leading uh, some kind of group of guys, uh, uh, some big big group to, uh, they were vigilantes. And uh, Nelson <laughs> Nelson became disillusioned. He goes, I don't believe in anything more. I'm going to law school. <laughs> Homer goes, no. So, uh, <laughs> um so how was, yeah, I'm curious how RCIA was. Um, oh, man, it was amazing. It was, okay, so Where I... Where did you go? Which church? I, uh, St. John Newman. Okay. So I actually started somewhere else and panicked and quit. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I didn't do the follow-up, see, because I, I, was, I, I was aware at the time that she was, you were starting that, and uh, I, I should have done the hard, I could have done the hard sell in the cathedral, but <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't do Oh, that, yeah. So. No, but. I, it was amazing, actually, how I ended up there. So I had... Uh, beginning of last fall, I was like, I'm doing this. I'm ready. I signed up. I had an interview with a priest at a different church. And then like two days before RCIA was supposed to start, I was like, I can't do this. 
um, I talked to a few Protestant friends who were somewhat upset about it and um, I just I panicked mm -hmm. and um, so I emailed them back and I was like I'm, I'm not I'm not ready for this and they were very gracious and then about two months later, I was sitting in a wine tasting. You know, it always comes back to wine, right? Nice. I was sitting in a wine tasting and my friend Mallory walked in and she, I didn't even know she was gonna be there. And she was like, oh, and I have friends. And I was like, great. And one of them was someone I'd met before and his fiance. And um, afterwards, they were like, well, let's all go to dinner. And Mallory was like, how's RCIA? And I was like, oh, well, actually, <laughs> I'm not doing it. And we had this wonderful dinner and conversation about, and I kind of said I was afraid. And uh, Mallory was great. She was just like, no, just come. Just come to church with me and just, you know, you don't have to commit to anything. And um, we had a wonderful chat. And then I, that next Sunday, I was at St. John Newman. And she marches me down there where RCIA is already happening, and I met every, not everybody, but I met the director and so forth, and um, I signed up. And I kind of never looked back. Like, it was, that moment, suddenly, I was there, everything felt comfortable, it wasn't as scary as going in alone, I think, exactly. to the pre other church. I didn't know anybody there. Exactly. It was just near my apartment, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll just go down the street. And um, I found a lot of community at St. John Newman, and... Mm -hmm. I and it happens to be a gorgeous church. Oh, yeah. And being a designer, I love beautiful things. Mm -hmm. um, and you got the massive dome. See, and it was. It's a good thing you didn't show up when they were in the gym, because that would have been a bad, <laughs> that would have been a bad situation. I'd been like, mm, maybe not. No, I'm just... <laughs> You're like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we all look at the Catholicism later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness. No. <laughs> no, in the dome, and it was uh, created by an Italian gentleman, if I have my story correct. And so, yeah. so that just made a little bit. Uh, since I was in Italy, I studied abroad in Italy, so um, anything where somebody says, oh, an Italian, blah, 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 I'm like, yay, okay, I'm in. But um, yeah, RCIA was great. I enjoyed learning more stuff. I was, I was actually probably pretty well catechized at that point because I'd spent four years studying and I was pretty systematic about it. Um, but spending time with Catholics and with other people exploring the faith was such a beautiful process and I finally was able to ask questions. I had so many questions and nobody to ask. And um, I mean, I asked my Catholic friends that I knew, but um, they didn't always have all the answers exactly. and nobody has, but um, it's been such a wonderful process. Even getting really down, like, well, this word in Greek, what does it mean? Blah, blah, blah. Why do we now translate it at that? Um, our director had answers yeah. and if she didn't have them she pointed me to resources and so it was a, a fantastic process and I got to know people and jump in so that's what I, I was a sponsor years ago at um, St. Teresa's and I was my concern was always like some of the some of the talks were a little a little dry and uh, I was concerned like we we're gonna bore people out of the process but um but then I was told by uh, Svezdana who uh, uh, who converted years ago um, she said, yeah, but like to, to um, people seeing it for the first time, it's not boring. So even yeah. if, you know, right. like I've been, you know, moderately well catechized and I've been reading Catholic stuff all my life and they're going over something. And um, uh, I think they were using overhead slides at the time or something. And I was like, 
Well, my uh, first RCIA <laughs> was about the sh- was like the Shroud of Turin or something. Yeah, which is and actually pretty cool. Oh, there it was. Some was. Of, I oh, was yeah, sitting there, there and I was just like, what? There are so some there cool. are some RCIA speakers that I'm like they, they could be selling tickets to some of the so yeah yeah they, they have some pretty pretty good ones yeah yeah no so we jumped into some of the like really interesting things it wasn't just like here's what we believe about this it was we don't actually claim that this is Jesus but here's all this really cool scientific research about this mm-hmm. item is it considered a relic I can't remember yes it is considered okay. Yeah, I don't know all the, the whole. Uh, um, I'm, I'm just. I was just reading um, uh, a book by uh, uh, Father Spitzer, who I think did a whole thing on the shroud. He got really detailed into. Was he the one that was at Saint the physics? Anyway, yeah, I, I, may saw, have been, I saw um, a talk on that. Yeah, it's pretty. But there was yeah, there there has been some little some traders, deep, which and some even deep recently, physics on it. Yeah. which which it's one of those that is like kind of the cool things about Catholicism, where it's like even though we know these things like. Our faith would exist without them, right. but it's like these are still gifts God leaves to like make us understand that our faith is a much more tangible one. It's like one right. where God comes to us in the Eucharist and something that we touch and taste and feel. Um, and so, like with same with all these other relics, it's like I mean, you know, certainly we could get by without mm-hmm. them, but it's like they're still gifts and they're still things it's that kind of incarnational, exactly. Yeah, and that's what um, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about. Um, uh, I mean, the church's view of miracles is sort of is is obviously believing miracles in general, but always a, a skeptical approach to any individual miracle. Um, he likened it kind of like I think it was to um, the British during World War II that um, well anybody could conceivably be a German spy, but they didn't really believe everybody was. So it's like they're you still have the evidence of you know you have to prove that somebody's a spy, not just be like oh I think there's a spy, let's go shoot him right. So um, uh, but. And that's the thing is, whenever the church investigates uh, miracles, they tend to uh, right. They bring in very skepti- skeptical people. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they, I mean, usually they'll bring some in some people uh, convert. I've read because oh, of yeah, them. Absolutely. Oh yeah, So, because that was one thing I looked a lot at was uh, I didn't just look at theology, like what do they believe about X Y Z, but I looked at miracles and supernatural and so forth because that's part of the Bible, mm-hmm. and. I think with a lot of the Protestant background, it was kind of like, well, that used to happen. Well, and there are Catholics that think that way, well, too. I'm sure, but not, yeah. That's not the official stance, but right. some Catholics feel that way, too. So having this element of miracles, and mm-hmm. it just it drew me in as well. And when I started researching it, it wasn't just like, oh, someone's claiming this, yay! Because I've encountered that before in other uh, situations where people just blatantly believe what anyone says. But I did find out, no, it's like we will see if this really is true or not, not just accept whatever anyone says. So I thought that was very responsible. Yeah. Well, I liken, actually, I mean, um, the Catholic's development of theology very similar to the way that in, uh, in the technical world you develop, you have peer-reviewed journals and things that you don't have... Um, uh, I mean, I remember the guys that, that, that thought they discovered cold fusion um, back in the 80s or 90s, and people were like, well, this is why we have peer-reviewed scientific stuff, so people don't go off on their own and just mm-hmm. think that they've done something. Exactly. Um, so the church, I mean, has a kind of a very, I mean, it seems like a very similar thing to our technical journals of, uh, of you know, fleshing out and um, a lot of review of theology, right, where if mm-hmm. somebody comes up with something crazy, then there's a lot of you know people ready to tear them all down, right? So we may have invented the troll, really. So <laughs> you know, we had trolls way before there was the internet. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
And I often think about that, like our the Jesuits, that uh, they're usually um, um, they t they tend to be on the fringe, and they kind of um, it's almost by nature nowadays that they tend to be the, the fringe dwellers. But it's like you need people on the fringe though, right? So, but um, which was always interesting. Now that we have a Jesuit that's a that's a pope, but because um, uh, I was just reading a. Um, Going far afield, but I was just reading. Um, was it Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, who was kind of um, kind of out there, and some of his stuff wasn't even published. Uh, uh, the church was kind of took a dim view of some of his writings, but mm -hmm. um, uh, but then you have other Jesuits that have some very fun, like fundamental and um, foundational concepts, right? That are very central to in, in the church, right? So, um, sorry, got off the. Got off the path. No, it's a but good yeah, path. Um. Well, and that's another. Actually, that's another thing is like you say, there's like people on the fringe or whatever. Yeah. But then the Catholic Church, you have all these. It is universal. It is all these types of people that can fit into the church somehow. Well, see, that's what I tell and, people. Like, you don't have to leave the church. You could just become a Jesuit. Right? <laughs> like, you could just be. You could be way out on the. People can be out on the fringe, right? There's ones that are as as far out as people well, think they are. Well, you could be like, very traditional or charismatic. Or yeah. like, it all fits in somehow. Versus like I'm going off to start my own church. Yeah. Because I don't like how you do your music or whatever. It's there's a lot of different uh, spaces for people to be in, and and there's a lot of grace in that as well. That's what Jim Gaffigan so. says. He's a Catholic, and his wife's a Shiite Catholic. So. Oh right. <laughs> Joe loves that phrase. Is that where you got it from? With Jim Gaffigan? Yeah, but I heard Just Colonel Dolan him. quote. Quote, uh, quote him because he said his parents weren't he said his parents were good Catholics but they weren't Shiite Catholics <laughs> so, so, I guess I tell some people that joke and they just look, like, look at me like I'm a monster <laughs> <laughs> oh, no he's great I think he was maybe the first person I ever laughed about being Catholic that I saw he tells a, yeah, he tells a good amount of Catholic jokes. Yeah. I mean, he, he does. He, I've seen him do 10 or 20 minutes just on cancer and get away with it. Uh, he does 20 minutes of cancer jokes. I, I'm like, I don't know who else could get away with that. So, but, uh, well, the, yeah, the interesting thing, I, I was thinking about quotes, um, biblical quotes about like converts and people coming into you know, full communion with the church. And I think about, because um, uh, th this one always kind of hits me is, um, it's actually, see, I know the quote, but I don't always know, I don't know the chapter and verse. So I have to go right. look up the chapter and verse. And it's John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. This is Jesus praying to the Father about, about the disciples. He says, I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, may, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you love me. Um, and it's, I mean, St. Saint, um, Saint Paul talked about the same thing about, you know, um, did Paul die for your sins? Did it, you know, say that you're, I'm of I'm of Apollos or I'm of Paul? Mm -hmm. That um, this idea that, um, and there was, there were fractions in the, oh. in the or uh, factions in the early church from the beginning, right? Um, but the, I mean, obviously Jesus would feel it personally that, feels it personally that yes, it's important that the body of Christ be one. Um, Absolutely. And he's rejoicing, rejoicing as much as anybody about you coming in. <laughs> I'm rejoicing too. I loved it. I can't, it's funny because I think for the four years that I was researching, I would get kind of overwhelmed and a little, I don't want to say upset per se, but just... I just was, there was so much I was learning and I was like, is this really true? And have I really misunderstood this my whole life, et cetera? 
And um, when I started actually getting in, I felt so much joy. And um, not only just about what I was learning, but also I love, I love mass. Like going to mass to me is just, it's so beautiful and so meaningful and taking communion. Oh man, the first time I took um, communion was amazing. And I don't remember much about Easter Visual. I remember certain things and that was stepping up and seeing Father Curtis, um, you know, hand me Jesus. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, but all the people I've met, everyone, it's just, it's been such a, a, a joyful experience. There's no other word for it. It is, yeah. it's joyful. That's awesome. So. That's what, I mean, that's another Jesuit thing. St. Ignatius, right, would say, if you're discerning things, if they, um, well, one thing is sort of if whatever you do feels like you, you brought, it's brought you closer to God, but also if it's brought you, brings you joy and peace. Mm-hmm. And not just short term, but over oh, a yes. long period of time, exactly. right? Um, that's part of the nation discernment. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it sounds like that, that's what a, um, yeah, throw a party for the Easter, uh, on Easter vigil for the converts. And um, that was the thing you mentioned it being kind of a, or it's like kind of a blur. It's like, it's almost like being married, I guess, that it's, People will say, oh, you know, it's the, it seemed like the wedding day went very quickly, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I say, I'm like, well, yeah, we need to celebrate um, with the converts because it's like, you know, it's like them getting married without having a reception, right? So you need to, have, there should be a big party. So yeah, out. a lot of people came that had been along the way that were in Austin came to the ceremony, oh, yeah, and my family was there, so it was kind of fun to introduce them, my parents, to. Um, some of my friends, because they'd never met these people yet, now they have, but um, having fun afterwards, enjoying, celebrating what has just happened, and um, it was just, it was a lot of fun. It went so fast. It was a blur, because everyone said, this is a two and a half to three hour service, and I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to sit here this long? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Stuff, yeah. You know, I was like, oh my goodness. But um, it was beautiful, and it went really quickly. That reminds me, my friend uh, Tess, she said she was going to the, she, was, she wanted to go to the UCC because they were going to do all seven readings, or nine readings, uh, I think it was seven. Yeah. Um, yeah, because otherwise you get short change and you only get five. But, because uh, they do like, I don't know how many readings totally you right. can do on Easter Vigil, but there's, there's a good amount, you, know, you can hit a good amount. So see, them, there so. you go, everyone was like, oh, the Catholics don't read their Bibles. I'm like, oh my goodness, I've gotten so much Bible. And I had a friend who I showed him, I have a copy of the Magnificat, and I enjoy doing that every day, doing the morning and evening prayer. And he was asking me, like, what do you Catholics do for daily, you know, Bible reading? And so I brought it and showed it to him, and he was like, oh my, I didn't realize y'all read so much of the Bible. I was like, every day, tons of it. Yeah. And, I mean, not everyone does, but it's there, and if it's in, there's... You know, in a lot of churches, being Protestant, you would get a couple verses, and you'd get a lot of information about those verses, and they teach very deeply. But in a, you know, a year, you might have gone through one book of the Bible, um, whereas yep. here, you've gone through a whole lot of the Bible. Yeah. And well, and a lot of that style, what you just described, going through one or tying it to others, in a lot of ways, that's also just like, it's Bible study, which is good, but again, right. that's not necessarily, you know... You know, it's, it's I, I like how the church does it. You know, it's like it's more holistic. Exactly, it's a little more holistic. You're getting through more of it. If you want to go into more detail, there's of course many Bible studies in which you can do that, where you can take you know the small passages and the slower route. But that's definitely not the more liturgical route. Yeah. They were pointing out, and that was actually on the Catholic Channel on uh, Lena Rolly. Um, he was arguing about <laughs> Joe's uh, hero. 
Oh, he's awesome. He was well, yeah, one he, of the people I listened to. I was him, about to ask that. Him oh, and Dave yeah. Dwyer, Father Dave oh, Dwyer. Yeah. Well, he uh, well he's he's come to Austin a couple times, and we've done a pub crawl with him. So he he'll come and we'll go out drinking with him. Oh my goodness, so, um, I need to go next time. Yeah, we have to. I gotta see. Well, see, he <laughs> used to hang out more with the uh, Austin Catholic New Media folks. Like they they, yeah. they had a more of a uh, they were more in touch. But um, Joe's nemesis. I mean, yeah. Well, no, they. Uh, <laughs> I wanted a I wanted a rivalry. I wanted yeah, like yeah. a nice rivalry, but yeah. 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 But, um, healthy competition. Yeah, healthy. Yeah, uh, that reminds me. Of, that was yeah, Mr. Plow. Um, um, Homer started up Mr. Plow. Uh, uh, a snow plowing. Snow thing. plowing business. And uh, Barney came up with the Plow King. That was like way better. He had this huge truck. And, um, and Homer's like, Barney, you stole my idea. And um, he was like, Oh, easy, Homer. There's nothing wrong with some healthy competition. And he pulls out a pistol and shoots at his tires. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh man. But. Um, Oh, yeah, I'm kind of missing but, out. I need to like catch up on the Simpsons. Yeah, really. You need to. Well, and Homer, Homer converted to Catholicism. So we dragged him in. Yeah. Well, that was a silly episode. Yeah, Homer said, you know, once you go to the Vatican, you can't go back again. So, <laughs> <laughs> they got him with a nice Columbus uh, pancake dinner. Mm-hmm. And they got Bart with comic books. Oh, yeah. He had, yeah, Saint, um, Saint, uh, uh, Saint comic books. Saint, Saint Sebastian. Well, when you yeah, start looking yeah, at the Saints, uh, you're like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot going on there's here. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> there's a good <laughs> material there. Yeah, there really is. But, but well, Lena was talking about, um, well, the readings at Mass that the, um, he, I mean, I think he, they were going pro and con of, like, whether, because um, uh, we don't have, we don't have, Protestants, pastors tend to do um, sermons, and we do, uh, priests do homilies, which I wasn't aware of this difference until about uh, five years ago. That homilies are basically on the gospel, mm-hmm. and they kind of they can't just pick whatever they want to talk about, right? Or right. I mean, I guess that he was saying what they could do is like make some wind about or roundabout way of um, getting from whatever the gospel is to whatever point they feel like talking about that Sunday, you know. But um, but really, they're supposed to um, take whatever, and all over the world, right? The church is reading the same gospel, right? So which is kind of cool that everybody's like all Catholics have it in their mind that they're contemplating this particular passage Again, of the gospel. Universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he was also the point, well, what if your priest is not that good of a homilist, but he's really good on fire about top- talking about one particular thing, right? And his thing is, well, you know, maybe that's a good thing that like maybe he can give a good, he would be able to give a good talk on this, but not on a, a different thing, right? But the other thing though is that what's good is that the Catholic way of doing it kind of pushes them to talk about parts of the gospel they may not mm-hmm they may not want to focus on or they may not get neglected, right? So right. Um, depending on whatever the whatever their um, pet peeve or whatever their focus is, right, they may or may not want to talk, or they may just want to focus on certain things. Right. Um, so you may only get fire and brimstone <clears throat> or something and not, you know, <laughs> and not the Beatitudes or something, right? right. So whereas you kind of need both, right? We're getting so, a lot of the, the well, again, it doesn't say fire and brimstone, but mm-hmm. the wailing and gnashing of teeth have been getting a few of those readings lately. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's all in the, it's all in the rotation, right? I had to go so, to a yeah. different church last Sunday because I got busy in the morning and had to go to an evening service somewhere. And he, they shortened, the, they did the short reading so they didn't oh, have to deal so with the same part. And, I mean, he worked his way around it. <laughs> I wow. was like, what are we talking about here? That's but that's okay. Then I went and I took communion and I felt all better. There you go. Awesome. So it's the high point of the the service is not the sermon, like in the Protestant church. Or yeah, most it's not of the them. focus, right? It's yeah. not the focus. It's this. It's you know you get this some instruction, but then you're getting um, 
the you're getting so much more throughout the service. And yeah. so if the if your priest isn't you know a fabulous speaker, that's not the whole point. Exactly. Thank God. Yes, yeah. Because some just aren't. That's not their charism. No. <laughs> well, and that's not the only thing. I think sometimes, and of course, this is a little bit of a blanket statement. That's not totally true. But in the Protestant church, you're like, oh, that pastor's such a good speaker. He really knows his Bible, and he can do 45 hour long sermons and it's amazing but then you may never meet him or talk to him he may not be as pastoral and um in the catholic church there's a focus on a variety of things and you have priests who do um they have to be pastoral some of them happen to also be great speakers and some of them aren't and or, i love that or just the liturgy in general i remember the first time you know it's like even kind of early 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 on in my faith when i started college you know just there's definitely a little bit of pull because I grew up a little more charismatic Catholic mm -hmm. and worship through music was a lot more important for me and that's where I found the most grace and peace. Mm -hmm. But I'll never forget going to a church here that it was, you know, one mass that was particularly not so great. So similar to like a priest having a great homily or, or the music being not particularly great at all, but still receiving the Eucharist and feeling as though I had just been like singing or doing my thing for like hours you know just so much peace and grace and joy and that drove home for me the fact that that's again the highlight isn't the music or right. the, the the homily or anything it's it's the reception of the eucharist mm -hmm. well, one thing uh um yeah one, one thing that i've picked up that honestly even so i did you know eight eight years of catholic grade school and then you know it was we, we had ccd we didn't have um uh, yeah. I forget what it was, Catholic something education. Yeah, I forget. But uh, um, uh, we, it was, you know, for high school kids. We didn't have light teen or whatever. And, um, but we never, like, we never viewed the, or was never, it was never driven home to me that the Eucharist was the source and summit of our life. Yeah. Um, or even the Mass, actually. I mean, it was something we did. The Eucharist was one of the sacraments. Doing the, your first Holy Communion was a big deal. But the idea that uh, the idea of the Eucharist as the thing that set number one, the Eucharist as the thing that sets Catholics apart mm -hmm. from all other Christian denominations, or our, I mean, and some people do. I mean, some denominations do communion, but it's view it symbolically, right? Um, some do that, see it as Christ is present, but it's a spiritual presence. It's not that this is the what do they see the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Soul, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't get the the depth of the belief that Christ is truly present in the Eucharist that um, I think maybe probably some Episcopalians do some of the Anglo-Catholic Anglo Anglicans probably do but in general it's it's not as in-depth yeah that was that was a Simpsons on, on St. Patrick's Day they were having a big fight between the Catholics and the Protestants and um, uh, they were just brawling they were drunk and uh, Lisa's like it's the constant battle between transubstantiation and consubstantiation <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting I mean hearing but yeah it almost that's part of why we like I mean I like to hear you know engage in this because um, I would say it was only maybe 10 or 15 years ago that it was readily apparent to me of the Eucharist that the Eucharist took as much meaning to me as it did um, I'd agree I kind of grew up the same way but I think that's changing a little bit I mean I think people recognize you know Especially, I think the biggest one is the growth in adoration. You know, that was one that just completely trailed over decades for different reasons. And 
you know, just again, maintaining that focus on, on Christ being, you know, present to us um, in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, I, but I'd agree, I grew up the same way where it really wasn't a focus to the point where I even remember being in middle school kind of going, wait, what is this again? Like, not trying to be like me or like some crisis of faith. I just was confused. I was like, wait, is this real or not real? I, so that's when my parents realized they, they dropped the ball a little bit for a while. Like, oh, wait, wait, okay, so pick back, get the catechism going again, you know. Catechesis, whatnot. I'm also curious about, um, it's funny, uh, I mean, there are things that people stumble over in coming to Catholicism. I know that uh, the Catholic's view of Mary is always a big, uh, that seems always a big, be a big stumbling block. And it's, um, yeah, it's something that uh, we kind of, uh, yeah, we, we almost take our Blessed Mother for, for granted. And uh, um, yeah, I'm always, I'm curious about what, the, what your view was. Yeah, so that, uh, was, that was kind of one of the final things that I had to get over. By the time I was, I mean, that was always in the back of my head as I was doing my studying. The Eucharist thing was easy for me. I could see that in early church father writings. I could see that in the Bible. I had already been taught the spiritual presence of Christ. Um, to me, that was, and, and it's important that I got that because as I would doubt along this journey whether Catholicism really was what it said it was, I would kind of come back to the Eucharist over and over again, but they're the only ones who teach this and also the canon of the Bible. They're the only yeah. ones that have the full canon. And then eventually theology of the body. Yeah. They're the only ones who have this in yeah. fullness, you know? Yeah. And um, so Mary, I had to struggle with a little bit. I read Scott Hahn's book, Hail Holy oh, Queen. And I literally I like devoured it and I was like, done, we're ready, let's go. Like, <laughs> I just, I was like, okay. Um, it was it was good. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out where um, does theology about Mary start popping up in early church father writings, um, and um, with the help of Scott Hahn's wonderful writings, I, I understood it. And I love um, I probably I wouldn't consider myself like Marian per se in the sense of some people have a very strong devotion, but I I have um, uh, picked up asking for intercession from Mary and I like I love playing the uh, praying the rosary and I'm um, very fascinated by uh, Marian apparitions and I've tried to research some of those I think there's some beautiful beautiful things out there and so I, I uh, yeah I had to struggle with it uh, I was afraid of oh my gosh is this idolatry but when I started getting a better grasp on uh, what the theology is around it and with the saints as well um, it started seeming so beautiful to me and, and natural. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, uh, that was, um, oh, Peter, Peter Bergsma, Dr. Bergsma. Um, mm -hmm. he, he, he does the, well, yeah, you've been to the fullness of truth, mm -hmm. uh, thing. So he was talking about uh, when he converted, uh, it was funny. He said he had the, the two problems he had, the two stumbling blocks he had were Mary and the Pope. And, um, he was saying, and it was interesting because it was the they were there was a whole weekend where there Scott Hahn, Scott Hahn, and Peter Bergman, a couple other guys were talking about um, the Gospel of John. And at the very end, end of the Gospel of John, um, uh, he said basically it, it's that uh, Peter walks away, and um, well, two things happen: um, is that Peter tells um, the apostle John to take Mary into his house, and then. Uh, right after that, Peter walks away and John follows Peter. And he said, those are the two things that I needed to do was take Mary into my house and then go follow Peter. Yeah. And I thought, 
That is totally amazing. It's, it's, so, yeah. That was cool, yeah. Yeah, seeing them, I got to see him and Scott Hahn and a couple other people speak, and it was really cool to hear all of them. Mm-hmm. Scott Hahn, I mean, he's like, everyone when I was first looking into converting, we're like, you have to read Scott yeah. Hahn's books. And I read, um, I'm going to get it backwards maybe, but Home Sweet Rome or Rome, or Rome Sweet, Sweet Home. Home. Yeah, yeah. And I read that, and it definitely kind of shuffled me along. I actually, because I love reading, so I read as much as I possibly could. And I felt weird. I was like hiding it on my Kindle. I was like, I can't buy these books. I can't let anyone know I'm reading Catholic books. So I don't like using a Kindle, but all my Catholic books are on my Kindle. And um, I read that and I picked up, I was like, I need to read something that defends Protestantism. So I, I found this book called If Protestantism is True. And um, I believe it's Devin Rose. Yeah, Devin Rose yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, great. A book about Protestantism. And I start yeah. reading it and I was like, Psych. this is not what I thought it was. <laughs> okay. uh, it, yeah. Totally and, a deceptive advertising. Exactly. Yeah. And then I somehow stumbled across a podcast that he had uh, done that was older podcast. And I think at least. And um, a young a boy calls in onto this sh- podcast or radio show or whatever it was. And he's, he brought up a verse in James, and I can't remember the, um, the uh, exact chapter and verse, but he said some, it's where the, it actually says, it is not by faith alone that you are saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having come from a Luther, like I converted to Lutheranism and went through that confirmation process when I was 19. And so re- seeing that, I was like, wait, how have I missed this? Like I've been reading my Bible frequently and I like James, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, ah, I've, I've missed this somehow. And yep. so, um, anyway, that was an interesting discovery. Starting to find all the little spots in the Bible where Catholicism is. Another good true. one. Like, I, I don't think it was in Hail Holy Queen. I mean, he, I mean, a, a fantastic, you know, you know, description of kind of a Catholic understanding of Mary you know, and I, I read it too, and it was amazing. But I think one that was just amazing clincher that I'd like to use, I, I still haven't used it on, you know, some family that are like what I'd like to call the reluctant Catholics. It's like they were, but they're still, again, kind of some of those stumbling blocks was a tie between the visitation when Mary goes to visit um, her sister Elizabeth mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, the um, uh, John the Baptist in her womb leaps for joy yeah. at the presence of Mary and Jesus and that all sounds great. And I always thought it was kind of a, personally, I never really got much out of that. I mean, that's where her, her Magnificat is. And she does, Mary goes through her whole thing, which is a beautiful hymn. But just the story in and of itself never really spoke to me much. But then I heard somebody speaking on Mary who tied it to a verse, which is, which again, being more from the charismatic side, there's Protestants love the whole David dancing before oh, right. the tabernacle when it was recovered from the Philistines. They take it back. You know, the ark did nothing for them. It was like killing them, passing them the plague. And, and, did, and, you know, so basically it was a curse to them, essentially. And then they brought it back to God's chosen people. And David's literally dancing in his underwear. And this one lady rebukes him. But then she becomes rebuked because he can dance only once. He's the king. And, <laughs> and it's great. But I, what I've never seen was a tie between the two, two scenes. And in Scripture, I mean, there are six points of exact comparison between... I, I could be wrong on this one, but I think it's either First or Second Samuel chapter 6... But it's somewhere in one of the books of Samuel's. I know they're pretty big. Um, but if you find the scene where David's dancing before the tabernacle and you go then to Luke chapter 2 or 1 and look at the visitation. And I mean, there are exact parallels. It's like, you know, Mary arose and left. David arose and left. It's like, uh, um, 
Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? David said, how is it that the ark of my Lord should come to me? Um, left for joy, you know, uh, says John left for joy and says uh, David left for joy. Um, um, there's a few others. Uh, Mary actually remained there for three months um, with Elizabeth in the hill country surrounding Judea. David stayed with the tabern uh, with the Ark of the Covenant there for um, three months. And so there's these great parallels that, you know, kind of goes back to the Shroud of Turin. It's like, I don't, I'm no expert to know why God gave the, the Israelites the Ark of the Covenant, but he did. I mean, that's just how he chose to make his presence there known. Could he have done it some other way? Sure. Well, same with Jesus. I mean, there's some other conceivable ways, I guess, but whatever God in his infinite wisdom did to choose Mary as a mother, he did for a reason, not just to be a mother and then move on from there. It's like, no, she's clearly in Luke, in Scripture, pointed to as the Ark of the New Covenant. Yeah. I was just reading, um, that brings back to um, uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, um, they talked about uh, Acts chapter 2, it said, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the Apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of the bread, and to the, and to the prayers. Um, and um, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple area and to breaking bread in their homes. They ate their meals with exultation and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And, um, and early, I mean, earlier, I should have looked it up, but I think it was in chapter one, they talk about Mary being there with them, uh, you know, them as they're doing this. And um, I think it was Steve Ray that was saying, you know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't look down and say, write all this down. What he said was, do this in remembrance of me, right? Um, uh, in terms of, you know, what did the early church do? They didn't have the Bible, right? They had right. each other, right? So they had each other and they had Mary and the, the teaching of the apostles, right? So um, it kind of, that kind of sounds like the Catholic life, basically, right? It does, yes. Well, that was like, I as I studied the Bible and I looked at Catholicism, I was like, this actually looks like the early church to me. Exactly. That's where a lot of people convert is when they actually go to look at the early church. Mm -hmm. You talk about Scott Hahn. It was funny. Um, yeah, when he first saw the mass, remember he, he thought, uh, he was like, wait a minute, this looks like early Jew, or this looks like a Jewish ceremony, right? And um, uh, and then he also said, what I love is before that though, um, when he stumbled on a Catholic church, he went in when it was empty. And he sees the altar, and he's like, what kind of pagan sacrifices are they performing? <laughs> like, he, had, he thought there'd be blood stains or something on her. And then he was like, he had some, the janitor was there and yelled at him and told him to get the heck out of there. So, but it was just a funny, that was his first experience, was getting yelled at to get the heck out. But, I keep ex waiting to be yelled at. So far, I haven't been. I've <laughs> in a few times, and I'm like, someone's going to... Oh, well, I thought when I signed up for RCIA the second time that they were going to say No. You've already had your chance, and oh, you messed up. <laughs> but that's why I was like, I, I was like, these people are well, nice, and everyone. Number goes, one, we wouldn't be organized enough to keep track. <laughs> no, that was. Uh, I don't know. Um, I had to turn in a lot of paperwork. Well, yeah, okay, I, I suppose. Well, it's just not organized. You had to turn right. it in. Yeah. I had to turn it in, but nothing happened with it. Right now, exactly. we, I mean, Trey used to be in charge of Sacramento Records, mm -hmm. right? We let him in charge of that. So, but. Um, <laughs> I asked him once if he could make me a bishop, uh, with you know, since he was in the Sacramento Records office, if he could just change Sign some, up. just change somewhere. Some there's this shift thing. some things around. We found this uh, document that says yeah. that Joe is a bishop. <laughs> you can't be a bishop. You can be a pope, not a bishop. Yeah, that's true. You know, be yeah. And we were just talking about how um, oh Saint Ambrose, uh, he uh, um, uh, that that was another quote Homer when Homer was baptized. They asked him how did he feel. 
he said he felt just like St. Augustine of Hippo after he was baptized by St. Ambrose of Milan. But, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, uh, was St. Ambrose, that, that was the best, he became a bishop because some, uh, they were like looking for a bishop in this, um, in this one town and this little kid's like, hey, how about him? He'd make a good bishop. And Ambrose is like, no way. And then he runs out, he has a, some senator, Roman senator friend, he goes and hides in his house. So they won't, and I, I don't know if they dragged him out or he just gave up and came out and became, they, they made him a bishop. So, but, uh, <laughs> See, that's why you gotta read the stories of the saints. They're full of really interesting things. There is a good book uh, that uh, one of my friends gave me called um, The Bad Catholic's Guide to Good Living. <laughs> and uh, that actually, I don't know why she'd give it to me really, but, um, but it's actually, the, that is the one thing is the, um, uh, I think a third of our, a third of the calendar were feast days at one point, so. And actually, I think it was uh, somehow the Puritan Protestant work ethic got into it, somehow messed things up and got into the Catholic world. But, um, but we used to party way more than we did, apparently. So Apparently. So we're, we're actually dedicated to recovering that. Well, bringing it back to wine, I mean, we yeah. can basically thank the Catholic Church for modern wine. Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah. So. Well, I, I heard actually, know how to have fun. Well, during, uh, during Prohibition, I uh, understood that it was actually the church. The church got a... Um, got a uh, um, Exclusion for uh, sacramental wine, mm -hmm. and then I guess the church had set up um, uh, some wineries in Northern California, so the church was partly responsible for the um, uh, that area being having wine. Wow! So, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good good note to end on. We'll go, we'll go with that. <laughs> All right, how to get around prohibition? How to get? <laughs> All, right. All right, cool. Well, good discussion. It was, yeah. uh, it was good talking with you. Well, thanks and, for inviting me. I had a lot of fun. And welcome home to the church. Thank so, you. Yeah. Glad to be here. Right. Glad to have you. All right. Thanks. That's the show for this week. I'd like to thank my friend Sam for co-hosting. And thanks to my friend Kate for telling us her conversion story. Also, thanks to Katie Hauser for being my announcer for this episode. And thank you for joining us for a mile or two in our walk with God. This is Joe Geisler saying good night and God bless from Austin, Texas. Get closer to the Lord. Just chill out now with Joe's.